We're in Galatians chapter 5. We've worked our way through the fruit of the Spirit. Hopefully, what we learn from that is helping us apply those things to our lives that love and peace and all those things. Uh, joy is being manifest in our lives. But there was also a list in Galatians 5 about the deeds of the flesh. And last week we covered uh, the first section on that. And last Sunday we looked at uh, three expressions of sexual immorality. We're going to continue here in uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 18, and cover the next uh, two patterns that we see here. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together as brothers and sisters and worship you together in this place, that you move in our midst, that you heal us, that you encourage us. We thank you that we can come to the Lord's table today. We pray for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church that can't worship you freely. And we, we pray for Israel this morning, Lord, that you would protect her, Lord God, and that you would you'd have mercy on all the innocents around, Lord, and just have your way in this situation. Be glorified and show the world that there is a God in Israel this morning. Holy Spirit, make the word come alive to us today and strengthen us. Change us from the inside out by what we hear. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 5, starting in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's good news. No more religious rule keeping. Verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior. And we covered those last week. Verse 20 says, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I make a disclaimer when I read that list, because there's a very important word in there, and the word is practice. Say practice. Uh, those who practice such things. It's not that if we ever had a struggle with any of these things. In fact, if we're being honest, you can look at this list and all of us have struggled with most of the things on it. Someone say amen. amen. Who's willing to tell the truth in church? Amen. amen. But it's not that we struggle or you might think, oh, well, this week I really blew it. I, I had an outburst of anger. I was driving and there was other people on the road and it just, it just happened. Is it me or are people getting worse at driving? Where are these people coming from? But it's not that, you know, we have an outburst of anger or we lose our cool or we, you know, we, we get envious or ambitious. It's that we, people who practice these things, what does that mean? That means that they're not trying to get these things out of their life. They're not trying to get free from them. They've just given themselves over to them. And last week we talked about sexual immorality, impurity, and indecent behavior. If you weren't here, I encourage you to get that message online and listen to it. God wants us to be pure, and he's given us the, the tools to be pure. Amen. But we're going to continue here, and after those three that made a common thread there, we see idolatry and witchcraft. So welcome to Full Gospel Center this morning. We're going to talk about idolatry and witchcraft. And you might look at these next two, and as I'm going through this list here, out of everything on the list, when I look at these two issues, these two sins, 
they seem like they would be non-issues for most of us living in the modern world today. You might look and say, idolatry, come on, idolatry, that's antiquated, that's irrelevant in 2023. You know, idolatry took place a long time ago in primitive cultures with simple, superstitious people. You know, it's not an issue for us today. They carved idols and they bowed down and worshipped them as symbols of their imaginary deities. You know, that's not modern. To which I will answer, idolatry is still a problem for us today. We, not, we might not carve things and bow down and worship to them, but all of us struggle with idols in our lives. And then when you get to witchcraft on this list here, you might think, well, come on, that's fictional, it's fake, it's fairy tale stuff. Nobody does that for real. You know, it's imaginary, it's fodder found in books and movies and myths and legends. It's not a real issue, to which I would say, you, if you think that, you're exactly wrong. Witchcraft and the expressions of it are found in our modern culture. There is a, a cult, there are cults, there are demonic things that are part of our culture that people are snared by and they have devastating effects on people's lives. So when the list here in Galatians 5 calls out idolatry and witchcraft and says that God's people shouldn't practice those things because they're deeds of the flesh that will cost us salvation, we need to take a careful look at them. So these two snares, I'm going to show you some pictures in just a minute. These two snares out of all of them, to me, are the most dangerous because culturally, we've made caricatures of them to the point where they don't seem real to us anymore. Like, let's take, for instance, put that picture up, the devil. Who's the devil? The devil's this guy in a red leotard with a pitchfork and a goatee. He's kind of you know, cartoonish, he's kind of a caricature. Well, we've grown up watching people depicted as the devil. Go to the next slide. Here's John Candy in the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Do you remember him? If you didn't see that, you need to leave right now and go watch it. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, we, we dress the guy up, you put horns on his head, and ha-ha, it's funny, it's a caricature, it's a cartoon. And we've, we've made a joke out of it. Yet the truth is, we do have an adversary whose name is the devil. The Bible says he was Lucifer. He was the angel of worship who was in heaven, who rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven, and he lost his title, he lost his anointing, and he became Satan, and he attacks mankind because he hates mankind because God loves mankind. Amen? Let's move on. What else have we made caricatures out of? Oh, idol worship. That's just cartoonish. Look, here's a cartoon. They're all bowing down before, you know, a golden bull, a golden calf. And we know that, that's old. That doesn't happen anymore. How about, you know, the next slide there? Well, it's just, you know, people in far off remote areas who are tribal and, and you know, they, they, they made images and they worshiped them because, you know, they just had no idea what they were doing. And we've made a joke out of idolatry. Go on to the next slide. How about witches? There's our witch from, that looked like the one from Bugs Bunny. Remember Pastor Mike? She was funny. She was laughing all the time. The bobby pins would fly out of her hair. She'd fly around on her broom. Come on, anybody? Uh, right? It, it's a joke, right? It's a, or how about now they've reinvented witchcraft. Now it's, the, now it's the, the slender, slim, attractive witch. The pretty witch, right? Look, I'm, who's not a sucker for that red hair there? Look at that. You know, and then she's got her little, she's making her little spells in there. So it's a cartoon. It's a caricature. It's a joke. And the problem with us making a joke out of these things that are serious issues is that, you know, 
devils and idols and witches and all these things that we don't like to think about, they are real whether we believe that they're real or not. I want to say something. An enemy that you don't believe exists is one you will never see coming. And an enemy you never see coming will easily manipulate, deceive, and destroy you. We have got to recognize we are, as Christians, in a spiritual battle with the forces of darkness. Now, Jesus has won the battle, amen, but we still can't ignore these things. If we do, we do it at our own peril. So an enemy you don't believe exists, and that's what making a character out of these very serious things does. Uh, we, they gain advantage over us. So let's identify what modern idolatry looks like today. You don't see people bowing down to statues or carving something or worshiping on their knees. You know, we don't see that very much anymore. You know, except for really strange cults and things, you know, and, and, and that's weird to everybody. But idolatry still exists, even though it doesn't exist in the way that we have been led to believe that defines it. Mankind has always had a problem with making images to worship. Why is this? Because we are visual, we are sensual, and God made us to be worshipers. Our makeup is that we're visual. We like to see things. We, we gravitate to image. Thank God for the gift of sight, amen? But we are visual. We're, we're visual learners. We're, we're visual people. That, that, that's why we look at our screens all day and sit down in front of TVs. Why? Because we're visual. And we're also sensual. What does that mean? That means we, we like to have our senses used in, in connecting with things, what we see, what we touch, what we taste. We want images that we can see, that we can touch. We're visual, we're sensual. And the last component is that we were made for worship. God made us to be worshipers. In fact, all of us are gonna worship something. If you don't worship God, you're going to wor worship something else because we were made for worship. Now people say, well, that's not true. I don't worship God and I don't worship anything else. Let me look at your life. Let me put it under a magnifying glass and quickly we will find out that there's things that you worship in place of God if you don't worship God. We're going to talk about idols today, man. Idols might not seem like they're an issue for us today, but that's just the enemy obscuring his attack because he wants to snare us in modern idolatry at the cost of our souls. All of us are visual. All of us want to see things with our eyes and touch them with our hands. You know, as a child, everything I was into, I drew. I used to like to draw a lot. How many people used to draw as a child? And, and when we drew things, what do we draw? What we were into. You could tell what I was into by what I was drawing. And I remember I started off, you know, drawing dinosaurs. I used to draw every dinosaur, Pastor Mike. My poor parents had to look at that and, you know, what's that? That's a, you know, a fakeosaurus rex. What did you make? Uh, <laughs> you know, and then when I was into something different, I drew cars. I drew planes. I, I, I drew tanks for a while. I was into the military stuff. As a kid, everything I liked, I made an image of. We do that sort of thing. Why? It's reflexive. It's in our nature. What did I want to do with those things? I wanted to draw them because, you know, they were important to me. It's what I was into. I showed them to other people. I hung them up on the refrigerator. It's our nature to make idols, to make icons, to make images. 
The second commandment is proof that this is a universal issue for all people, especially God's people. The second commandment in Exodus 24 says this, you shall not make for yourself an idol, a carved image, or any likeness which is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them. And we know back in the day, people made these images, these idols, and they bowed before them and they worshiped them and they served them and they called them, this is my God. We still have that nature that wants an image, that wants to make something that we can connect with uh, on, a, on a visual level. But the second commandment is proof that this is an issue for us. The first commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's number one. The number two is don't make idols to worship. Pretty important, wouldn't you say? Idolatry is a tricky thing to identify, and here's why. Because it's subtle. Certain things in life are obvious, and certain things are subtle. It's the sneaky stuff that kind of sneaks in. Did you ever have stuff sneak into your life? Come on, church. Come on this morning. Amen. You were doing your own thing. You were staying busy. You thought you were on the right track, and things were sneaking into your life idolatry is that way before you know it there's something in your life that's gotten between you and God how many of us would just admit there's been times where you know something got between me and God and and it became a stumbling block amen I'll raise both hands it's easy to make idols out of a lot of different things so it's a tricky thing. It's a subtle thing. Uh, there are so many things in our life that can become idols. The truth is I found out that we can make idols out of almost anything. Not that we would verbalize, this is my God, you know, or that we would bow down and literally kneel before it and worship it. No, but it can sneak in there and, and it can become something that gets between us and God. So here's a great definition of what an idol is. An idol is anything that becomes more important to us than God. If you're taking notes today, write it down. An idol is anything that becomes more important to us than God. It can be a pursuit. It can be a financial thing. It can be material success. It can be a sport or a hobby or even a person. You know, this blows my mind when I, when I discovered that we, that we can make idols out of people in our lives. You say, Pastor, how can you do that? Well, when that person becomes more important to you than God... Do you know, I, I've done marital counseling and pastoral counseling and weddings for over 30 years, and I've seen couples that have made idols out of each other to the point that their marriage becomes an idol, that they quit serving God, they don't come to church anymore, they worship each other, then they have children and they worship the children. Come on, I'm preaching on Sunday here. I see it all the time. And God takes a back seat to my wife to husband, to children, to a person. And a person becomes an idol. There can be nothing in our lives that's more important to us than God. The greatest gift in my life, aside from Jesus as my savior, is my wife. But listen, I have to serve God and love God more than I love my wife more than I love my children, more than I love being a pastor, more than I love this church. Amen? Amen. 
Idolatry, idolatry is tricky. It's subtle. It's anything that becomes more important to us than God. It can be a sport, an activity. It could be an instrument. I, you know, there's been times in my life where I had to keep my, my music in check because it was getting between me and God. Just being a little transparent, you know. Go into my office, guitars hanging all over the walls. Now, I'm not bowing down to worship them, but do I run to them before I run to God? Oh, we're getting real in church. And usually when we get real, it gets real quiet. So we've got to check ourselves, and we've got to examine ourselves, and we've got to make sure that there's nothing in our life that becomes more important to us than God. And the bottom line is this. Jesus has to be number one in our lives. He has to sit firmly on the throne of our hearts, amen? Now, we all want that, but sneaky, subtle idols get in there. And I want, I want us to stop and think this morning at some point and, and examine ourselves and say, God, is there anything in my life that's been, become more important than you? If it's a job, a relationship, a person, we need to repent of that and ask the Lord to forgive us and squarely put him as number one in our hearts. So there's idolatry to consider. And then, uh, you know, we need to take a look at some other subtle things that grab a hold of us. And let's look at the uh, kind of, the, the question becomes, if we're going to root idols out, we've got to be able to identify them. And you might say, well, how do I know when something in my life has become an idol? Because let's face it, we've all got to do a lot of things in a day. We can't stay in our prayer closet all day and just talk to God all day. Anybody got stuff to do? So while we're doing that, sometimes we get caught up in that stuff and it becomes more important to us than our relationship with God. So how do I know when something in my life has become an idol? Well, let's look at a couple ways to identify it. Number one, we spend all our money, time, and energy on it. If you, you say, oh, I don't know how to identify an idol in my life. Get your Visa card statement. Get your bank card statement and take a look at what you spend all your money on. And listen to me, it's really easy to figure out sometimes. You know, when, when you see this charge and that charge and I bought this and this came from Cabela's and this came from Amazon and I bought this and I bought, and it's like all my, all my finances are going into that sport, hobby, thing, pursuit. It's an interesting thing to follow the paper trail, but it's not just money. What do I spend my time doing? All my time, all my energy, all my focus. See, the thing that we focus on, the thing that's most important to us, the thing that we spend all our free time on, the thing we spend our money on, if it's not God, it could be an idol. Number two, how else do we identify an idol? Well, we get angry if anyone interferes in our pursuit of it. You ever be chasing after something and someone say, can you not do that? Or can you take a break from that? Or can we do this today? No, I got to do, I got to do. Then we get angry. It's a sure sign that something's not right, that there's a lack of balance in our lives, in our pursuit of things, that if someone would get between us and the thing we're pursuing, we get angry. How else can we identify if something's become an idol to us? We identify with it to the point that it defines us. Certain people, you could just talk to them for five minutes and they'll let you know everything that's in their heart that's out of balance because it's what's coming out of their mouth. And I'm this and I'm that and I do this. They don't even introduce themselves before they tell you what they do or what they've accomplished or what sport they're involved with or what, you know, and it defines us. Are you getting this today? 
You should see your faces out there. Everybody's like, wait till we get to witchcraft. We haven't even had fun yet. But we're talking about idols today, and, and we get angry if they get, you know, disrupted. We identify with them to the point that the thing defines us. And lastly, the way to identify if something's an idol in our life is it's on our lips, it's on our mind. We're thinking about it when we go to sleep, and when we wake up, it's the first thing we go to. What's the first thing we run to this morning? Everybody's going, it's coffee, it's coffee. And we can make an idol out of coffee. In fact, we're going to have deliverance for John because he's manifesting right now. <laughs> but, you know, what's the thing that we run to? What's the first thing on our mind in the morning? It should be Jesus. So idolatry is something that all of us need to be introspective and examine our hearts and be honest. Jesus has got to be number one in our lives, amen. And anything that becomes more important than him is an idol. Let's look at the modern day practice of witchcraft. Again, we've made a caricature of this. We, we've made it cartoonish and people think it's harmless or, you know, it's just a playful thing that, you, you know, it's, it's part of our culture. And, and even Christians scoff at the idea of witchcraft or the occult and dismiss it as, you know, non-existent or all that stuff is just fake. And the thing is, the truth is, a lot of that stuff is fake. And when, you know, you see people who are psychics and uh, palm readers and fortune tellers, in fact, a lot of them are frauds. Are you with me? They're, they're fake. They're frauds. What are they doing? They're duping simple, desperate, hurting people for money. Oh, you lost your loved one? We're, we're going to contact them from the grave, and we're going to see what they got to say. And then, you know, and then we're going to say all really obscure things that could apply anywhere, and that's $300. And a lot of it is fraudulent, amen? How many people remember that they used to have on TV the Psychic Friends Hotline? You could call up and get a psychic reading. And that was like, we used to just laugh at that. It was so ridiculous. Then one day the FBI raided them for fraud and shut them down. And I thought, well, if it was the Psychic Friends Hotline, didn't they see that coming? <laughs> no, they didn't see it coming because they're a bunch of fakes and a bunch of frauds. And they were taking people's money. Now, I said all that to say this. While maybe a great percentage of that stuff is fraudulent and it is fake and it is all about money, there is a percentage of those who practice these things who are not fakes at all. But they have tapped into the demonic realm and they're playing with the real forces of darkness. And that is not a joke at all. It's very serious. When it comes to witchcraft, the Bible is very clear that those who practice these things are in direct conflict with God and the kingdom of God. God takes it very seriously. Why? Not because it's fake or it's fraudulent, because they're tapping into another power source besides God. There are two power sources you can tap into, the kingdom of God, or you can tap into the kingdom of darkness. And while the kingdom of God is the all-powerful power source, we can't pretend that darkness doesn't have any power at all. Because it does, and it's not fake, and it's not a joke, and it's not a caricature. But there's an enemy behind it that wants to snare people and destroy their souls. The Old Testament had clear prohibitions on 
uh, witchcraft and the practice of the dark arts. God was very aggressive and warned his people to, com- to steer completely clear of that thing, everything that had to do with the occult. Listen to Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. This is God speaking to his people. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. What they used to do in pagan cultures is they would give their children to be burned in the fire to give an offering to the fertility gods so that they would be blessed and fruitful and and all of that stuff. And you think that's horrible. We still do it. It's called abortion. We, We still sacrifice our children for convenience sake. And he said, there shall not be one among you who passes their children through the fire, listen, or uses divination or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who casts spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who consults the dead, speaking of necromancy, which still goes on today. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. Is that clear enough? It's not cute, it's not funny, it's not a caricature. There's no good witches and nice warlocks. It's a different power source. And God says for the Christian, don't mess with it, don't touch it. It's an abomination to me. Listen to Leviticus 19.31. Do not turn to mediums. God speaking to his people. Do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. God is our source. God speaks to us. God's Holy Spirit leads us. Amen. We don't need to go to the psychic friends hotline to figure out what's going to happen in the future. We don't need to go, you know, get our palm read or go have tarot cards. No, we go to God for that. God says, don't mess with that stuff. Revelation 26. I mean, Leviticus 26 also. As for, take it easy, Jamie. (laughs) Yes, Revelation's a good book, but we're in Leviticus now. Leviticus 26, listen to this. As for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the prostitute with them, see, God sees it as what? Uh, Us going to, uh, you know, someone we shouldn't be connected to because we're connected to him. I will also set my face against that person and I will cut him off from among his people. The Old Testament didn't play around at all. If, If people were found doing these things in Israel, they were either driven out or executed. They didn't tolerate it. And God made it very clear to his people that, you know, we shouldn't connect ourselves to these things. Now, the New Testament also takes a stance against the occult, and the stance it takes is very simple. Christians should categorically avoid all things pertaining to the occult. Listen, you and I who are Christians should never play with Ouija boards. We shouldn't go to psychics for readings. We shouldn't get our palm read, do the tarot cards, go to seances. We shouldn't participate in spells or curses or even horoscopes. Why? Because those things are contrary to the things of God. These things are not for us. And people think, oh, it's a joke. It's a game. Listen, I've done counseling for many years, and I've dealt with people who had been involved with the occult before they came to Christ, and they still had bondage and affliction and all kinds of issues in their life. Come to find out through counseling that, you know, did you get involved with this? Did you play with this? Were you, you know, seances, Ouija boards, all that stuff? And they, they were stuck, and the enemy still had a claim to them. This stuff is not a joke. It will snare you. It will open the the door of your heart up to demonic things. 
It'll rob your sleep. I could tell you stories that would make the hair on your neck stand up, but I'm not gonna because we need to focus more on the kingdom of God than the kingdom of darkness, amen? But we, we don't play with these things. We, we avoid them, amen? We have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. But, you know, the New Testament gives a clear stance on that, that th- these things are not for us. N- not because, you know, they're fake or they're, they're fraudulent or they're harmless, but because they're a different kingdom, a different power source, and they're an offense to God. What's the solution for us if we've involved ourselves in these things and we still, you know, the enemy's still harassing us? Well, we confess, we repent, and we get free. Listen, we talked about the blood of Jesus today. We still got some communion up here. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. There's no sin that's too big for us to be forgiven of, but we've got to confess. The Bible says confess your sins, what, and that God is faithful and just to forgive us. So we confess and we repent, and we're going to see some examples of this in the New Testament when people who were involved in the occult heard the gospel and came out. Listen to Acts 19, 18 through 20. Also, many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. So here, the gospel is being preached in the book of Acts. People in pagan cultures are being saved. And when they're getting saved, they're confessing that they've been involved in the occult. Listen to verse 19. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they added up the price of these books and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing and prevailed mightily. What did people do? Amen. They heard the gospel. They accepted Jesus. And publicly, they renounced their involvement in the occult to the point where they got everything out of their life, everything out of their heart, everything out of their house, and they burned it and drew a line on it and said, no more. I'm done with that. And they did it publicly. That's powerful, isn't it? In Acts 8, we encounter a guy named Simon the Sorcerer. And Simon was someone who practiced the magic arts. And listen to what happened to Simon. It says this in Acts 8, 9. Now, a man named Simon had previously been practicing magic in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And all the people from small to great were paying attention to him, saying, this man is the power of God that is called the great. So this guy was good at what he did. He had captivated the people. Everybody knew about him. In verse 11, it says, and they were paying attention to him because for a long time, he had astounded them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip as he was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were being baptized. Now, even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, continued with Philip as he observed signs and great miracles taking place. He was repeatedly amazed. Now, if you read the rest of that, you're gonna see that they still had some problems with Simon because he he couldn't get out of the old lifestyle completely. And you read that, but the point I wanna make here is that he was in the occult, he was in witchcraft, and he heard the gospel and he repented and got baptized and took a step towards the Lord. When, When we find ourselves 
coming out of these things or we're involved in them in the past or, you know, we have it in our family. Many times there's, there's witchcraft in, in families, people of different cultures. The Italians have their own brand of witchcraft and they wear them little horns on their neck and they give each other signs that I'm not going to do in church or, you know, people with uh, Santeria and from different cultures. It's, there's witchcraft everywhere. And, and those of you who are in those cultures know what I'm talking about. And they even have idols and statues and they give them offerings and they pray to them. What do we do if we've partaken in that stuff? We repent, we confess it to the Lord and we get free from it. I want to cover two final insights about witchcraft. And they're interesting because there again, this is a subtle thing and we've made a caricature about it and we don't see it coming. But the word translated witchcraft in Galatians 5 here is the Greek word pharmakia. And you might hear that word and it sounds familiar because we get our word pharmacy from it. Now the reason, now this word pharmakia is related to pharmacy because it's related to the use of drugs that alter our state of consciousness. All pagan cultures who practice witchcraft, most every one of them use drugs along with their rituals to create the ritual. So there's this linkage to drug abuse and witchcraft and all of these things work together. That word pharmakia suggests two things. Number one, those who use drugs to alter their state of consciousness absolutely open themselves up to the demonic realm. See, when you take drugs and you alter your state of consciousness, you lower your inhibitions and you actually open yourself up to the demonic realm. I know, well, pastor, they made it legal and you know, it's okay and everybody's doing it. Well, for the Christian, it's not okay. And God still doesn't want his people high and drunk and and out of their minds because when we do that, we open ourselves up to the demonic realm. It's not cute, it's not funny. It's playing Russian roulette with your soul. Also, this word pharmakia has a second meaning to it. It suggests control and manipulation. And many times when you see the word witchcraft, it's talking about control and manipulation. Those who attempt to control and manipulate others are actually practicing what the Bible calls witchcraft. So how do people control and manipulate one another? People do it in relationships through uh, anger, through violence, through passive aggression, through uh, withholding sex. And people do it in the marriage relationship. They try and intimidate the, the spouse. They try and, you know, withhold things that are due their spouse. Why? To control and to manipulate them. If you're trying to control a person, if you're using something to manipulate your spouse, the Bible calls that witchcraft, pharmakia, control and manipulation. God never intended for us to control one another. We are not to control other people. We're not, I, I'm not here to control my wife, to manipulate her, to make her do what I want to do, to intimidate her through aggression or threat of violence or passive aggression. Uh, We don't withhold sex from one another to manipulate one another in marriage. That's witchcraft. This is a very subtle topic, one that the church needs to understand. And if we have any traces of this stuff in our life, in our marriage, in our relationships, if we have idols that need to be taken care of, today is the day that God wants us to confess, repent, and get free. Let's bow our heads right now. Father, I I thank you this morning that your word covers topics that 
most people would just never even understand, but you love us enough that when you see us stuck in bondage, when you see us uh, worshiping things that are just empty and unfulfilling, you love us enough to call us out. Father, anything in our life that's become more important than you, we call it what it is, it's an idol. We ask you to forgive us of it. We repent from serving it, and we ask you to free us. God, when it comes to witchcraft and all the things of the occult, God, we categorically refuse to participate in those things. They are not for the believer. God, and if we have participated in those things, we confess it, we repent of it, and we ask you to free us from all attachments. We renounce everything to do with the works of darkness. God, and for those of us who try and control and manipulate others, in that spirit of pharmakia, control and manipulation, we repent of that. And we ask you to have control of us, but let us have no desire to control anyone but ourselves. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise this morning. Bless you, Lord.